Good morning, IBCB. Have a seat for just a moment. I'd like to be the first to say, unless I'm not the first to say it, but I will say it, happy Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday on our calendar, our annual calendar uh, this morning. And uh, even as that song indicates, there are many reasons why we can respond with Hosanna, glory to the King of Kings. In fact, we see this in Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus is riding on a, a colt. He's riding on a little donkey here and he's coming into Jerusalem. Again, his, his focus has always been to end up in Jerusalem. And we see this is the kind of reception that he gets it says people are just putting down their clothing. They're putting down palm trees and, and different uh, leaves. And they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they are in celebration mode. But here's the interesting thing. They're in celebration mode, but Jesus knows exactly what he came to, for, to Jerusalem to do. While they are celebrating their social Messiah and their political Messiah, Jesus understands that he's coming in as the spiritual Messiah to take away the sins of the world. And so they think their Messiah is coming here to relieve them from Roman rule, to, to, to make all their problems go away, to finally uh, to fix all the social unrest, and Jesus is coming in to die. The very people that are singing his praises in five days will be saying, crucify him. And so on one hand, on our annual calendar, yes, today is Palm Sunday. But as our message by our dear brother Pastor Tom will be delivered in a little bit, the real message is the real reason why Jesus came. And that was to die to save, to save us from our sins. Jesus knew that he came, in his mind, he knew that he came in to, to endure a horrific death so that you and so that I could live. And that is what we are celebrating this morning. And in a sense, we see that Jesus, in the back of his mind, understood what the prophet Isaiah was saying when he says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So on one hand, yes, we have reason to celebrate Hosanna to the King of Kings, but we were also celebrating the man of sorrows, one who came to take our sins away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now we desire to honor you. We desire to worship you. Our ultimate focus right now, Lord, is to draw attention to you and to have our lives aligned with your life and your purposes. Because, Father, our joy and our peace and our fulfillment and our hope and our life rest in the fact that you are God and there is no other. So, Father, right now I pray that though we, have, we are coming to celebrate, we are coming to encourage one another, we are coming to declare and respond to your goodness at the same time we are here to draw focus to the cross of Jesus. Because it is the cross that in which you died, Jesus, that was a symbol that tells us this is why we are forgiven. This is why we are innocent in the sight of God. So, Father, it is a, it is a dark passage, but it, also, it is also glorious at the same time. And we celebrate you even now in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you'd open your Bibles to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. And we're going to start at verse 27. The passage this morning is long. The passage this morning is deep. It is very deep. It is perhaps the hardest passage in all of Scripture to read, especially to read out loud. Because of the events of Jesus' torture and death, Who we know to be the Savior, the King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, subjected Himself to mankind's cruelty, mocking, the worst possible behavior of mankind, and He allowed Himself to be subjected to such a thing. It is, in fact, perhaps, maybe not even perhaps, it is the darkest, most shameful hour in the history of mankind. And I'm not going to stand here and point fingers at those who did it because I would have been one of them. It is nasty and it is ugly what we did to the Son of God. At the same time, it is the most glorious event in history, and we'll talk about that. To set the stage, Steve is going to read it for us here in a moment. To set the stage, though, in terms of what has been going on, we have, for the last few weeks, going back to Pastor Corey, talking about the injustice. Last couple weeks, Pastor Aaron, talking about how God is in control in the midst of the chaos and the madness, the insanity. Now, where we are in the story is, last night was the Last Supper. He was with the disciples. He went out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. All night, and then he was betrayed, and the soldiers came, and they arrested him. And he was dragged into a kangaroo court, where he was questioned. He was mocked. He was condemned to die when he was completely innocent. At the end, in verse 26, there's a little statement that says, then he released for them, talking about Pilate, for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This scourging was customary for those who would be crucified. It was a normal part of the punishment. What the scourging was, is they would take the person and bend them over a post. And they would beat that person with whips. Whips that were made of leather, that had chunks of stone, of lead in it, in order to have more impact in, in um, tearing apart the flesh of that person. And they would beat that person as long as they wanted to. There was no limit on what the soldiers could do to this person who was condemned to die. 
And they would beat, and they would beat. It was out of control. Many times it would get the face all over. That's why it was talk about Jesus being disfigured, not recognizable. And the blood that was spilled, that was shed, when that person was undergoing such a beating, many times the person died right there. Everybody was weakened tremendously, and the purpose was so they wouldn't last so long on the cross. They would go into a state of shock, and many times the shock would kill them. Now we read the passage. Jesus has been beaten like this, where many people do not survive. He is in a tremendously weakened state. So, Steve, thank you for reading it this time. Follow along. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. Kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe putting his own clothes back on. And they led him away to be crucified. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, They offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, nailing him to the cross, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. (laughs) 
Now the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth. It was then that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling for Elijah. One of them ran out and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out one more time with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Tombs were opened up. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Later, after his resurrection, they came out of tombs and appeared to many in the holy city. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were filled with awe and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in clean linen shroud, laying it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. Then he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is the day after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away. And tell the people he has risen from the dead, 
the last fraud will be far worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. They went. They set a guard. They secured the tomb. They sealed the stone. Let's pray. Lord, there are no words. to express what you went through, Jesus. All we can say is thank you. Lord, as we look at this passage now, Lord, the passage is the sermon. What we have just read is the story. It is the moment of salvation for mankind. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Crucifixion. Before I get into this, here's how we're going to approach this. What do you pull out of this powerful, powerful, it's not, I just even hate to use the word story, these events in all of history, this event that was so huge. What I would like to do with this is just kind of go back through a ground level and make some observations, and then we'll pull up at a higher, from a higher perspective and take a look uh, at some of the things that were actually going on and then draw it to a close. The crucifixion itself, let me say this about crucifixion, it was saved for the most vile of criminal insurrectionists, whatever, it was meant to be an embarrassment, it was meant to be public, saved only for the worst. In verses 27 to 31, we have these soldiers that are mocking Jesus, calling him names, putting the crown of thorns on his head, taking his clothes and putting this other fake robe on, all the things that they were doing. These guys doing this, in all likelihood, were not even from the area. They are Roman soldiers, and the likelihood is that they might not have even been from Rome, them or Jerusalem, or Italy, or it could have been somewhere else. Some speculate even Germany. It doesn't matter. They may not have even understood at all who Jesus was, what his claims were, any of the story where he has been discipling these men, and he has been doing amazing miracles throughout the land, proclaiming and showing and demonstrating that he is the Son of God. These guys had no clue. They were just doing what they do. All they knew was there was a guy being condemned for his claims of being the Son of God. A little later, verse 34, when it talks about the wine mixed with gall, it is sour wine. In all likelihood, it was infused with myrrh. Sounds familiar, huh? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was accepted as a gift from the wise men from the east, Now myrrh is rejected because myrrh has a quality of deadening, 
of pain-killing, of deadening the senses. And Jesus said, no, no, I will not accept it. It's as if Jesus says, I want my full senses. I want to know everything that is going on and totally aware of what will and what is happening. When he was forced to carry the cross, that was often the tradition where the condemned was to carry the cross. When it says the cross, it may have meant the whole cross or parts of the cross. It could have been the upright beam or it might have just been the cross member. We don't know. In any case, the person, because of the scourging that had taken place, was often too weak to actually carry it. So this guy in the crowd, and this is they often did this, the soldiers would grab somebody out of the crowd and say, here, you carry this for him. There's a whole sermon there on the guy that was chosen to carry the cross, Simon of Cyrene from Africa, who was carrying the cross. The sign that was placed above Jesus on the cross, Jesus, King of the Jews. The person condemned often wore that sign around his neck as he was being led to the place of crucifixion. And it was a sign that stated what they were condemned for. So they would carry it hung around their neck, or a soldier in front would carry the sign to proclaim what the person was guilty of. And then when they got to the place of crucifixion, that sign was then nailed to the cross above the person. Of course, the great irony, as they mocked him for claiming to be the king of the Jews, which is exactly what he was. Then he underwent mocking in verses 39 to 44. Those who walked by looked up, shook their heads, and mocked him. The high priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, they mocked him. The two criminals on both sides of him, they also mocked him. Everybody around him mocked him. They are yelling, if he is who he claims to be, let him save himself. I don't know about you, but everything in me screams, Jesus, do it. Show him. Call the angels. Remember just a little bit of last night in our story, When Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus says, don't be doing that, Peter. If I wanted to, I could ask the Father to send 12 legions of angels. Remember that song, he could have called 10,000 angels? I don't know who made up that song, why they came up with 10,000. A legion can make up as many as 6,000 And there were 12 of them he could have called. That's in my book, 70, I did the math, 72,000 angels he could have called. And the father would have sent them. Oh, baby, I don't know about you, but in me, I love it when, when justice gets served. And this is so unjust. It's like, Jesus, do it. Come on, show them. That'll fix them. But justice would not be served because Jesus goes on to say last night to Peter, he says, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? I can't do that because ultimate justice is coming. 
the timing of the crucifixion, Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning and hung up on the cross at 9 a.m. Three hours later at noon, everything went dark. At 3 p.m. that afternoon, Jesus died. It is significant. Jesus gave everything. His blood, every last ounce of strength, he gave it. He gave it all. He gave up his holiness. He became sin for you and for me. He gave us up his holiness to the point where the father had to look away from his son. That is why Jesus utters in absolute loneliness and torment and grief. These words came spilling out of him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Completely alone. And then the, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in half. The curtain in the temple was torn in half. That curtain, you all, they say it was three and a half inches thick. That's how thick the curtain was. Impossible to tear it. It took 300 men to put it up. And it just tore in half. The earth shook. In verses 51 and 52, the earth shook. The rocks split open. Tombs opened up. And then later, after the resurrection of Jesus, people who had followed Jesus and were, had put their faith in Jesus came walking out of the tombs. This is the craziest piece of the story almost. It's wild. And they went into the town. And there's nothing more said about them. But when that earth shook and everything went dark and stuff was happening like this, the father was saying something. That's when the centurion, who was a Roman soldier, a leader, and those who were with him, maybe some of the same soldiers that had been mocking him, after he was condemned, after he had been whipped, maybe some of those same soldiers now are going, oh my word, truly this was the Son of God. The tomb was made secure. <laughs> Verses 62, the last paragraph there's a, for me a lot of irony in this particular passage of, this, um, of these events where these chief priests and the Pharisees, they remembered the claims of Jesus that he would rebuild the temple in three days. He would be resurrected in three days. They didn't forget that, so they went to Pilate. Hey, this guy said this, and boy, the last thing we want happening is to have him come back out of that tomb. What were they afraid of? His own followers, for the most part, seem to have forgotten this, but they didn't. And Pilate's response, I don't, Pilate, I cannot 
I would love to know what's going on in Pilate's head. Remember Pilate's wife said, don't have anything to do with him. I don't feel right about this. There's something way off, Pilate. Don't do it. And Pilate now, it's caught his attention. He washes his hands and sends Jesus off to be crucified. And he feels the effects. The earth, everything goes dark. There's the earthquake and all these things are happening. And then these guys come and they say, hey, he might, I can't imagine what Pilate might have been thinking. Yeah, he probably will come out in three days. And in fact, if he's going to come out in three days after everything I have witnessed, I don't think you're going to be able to hold him back. So go ahead and seal it. Do all you can to seal it. I have no idea what his tone of voice was when he said it, but it's like good luck with that, guys. That's ground level. Let's go up to 30,000 feet and take a look. What is going on? What is going on in these horrific events? We have said all along, and we will continue to proclaim this, especially in this pandemic that we have been in, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is working out his plan of redemption always. As Pastor Aaron has said a couple of different times, when things seem to be falling apart, they are actually falling together. How true that is in the events that we are witnessing in this story. Let me offer some proofs, I guess I could put it that way. Let's take a look in the Old Testament to see what the Old Testament has to say about these events. Do you know that there are over 100 passages statements about the life of Jesus, most of them about his death, over a 100. And they were written no less than 400 years earlier, up to 1,000 years earlier is when they were written. So listen to this from Psalm 22. Let me just point out a few things. Statements in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The exact thing that Jesus says. Talking as if Jesus were saying this in verses 6 and 7 of 22 in Psalm. But I am a worm, I am not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. And then from the other people's perspective who were mocking him, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. In verses 14 and 15, as if Jesus himself were saying, way back in Psalm, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Verses 16, 17, and 18, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Did God know what's going on? This was written many hundreds of years earlier. God knows exactly what he is doing. He is fulfilling prophecy. He, every detail is being attended to. Isaiah 53 is rich in language, even Pastor Aaron in her opening read some of these verses out of Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And so forth and so on, it goes on and on. And we could just read more and more passages from the Old Testament that point to this time. Other connections. Remember the curse in the Garden of Eden after the sin of Adam and Eve? One of that was thorns infesting the ground. The thorn, the curse of the thorns. And now Jesus wears those thorns on his head. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'll take the curse. Give it to me and I will reverse it. You all remember the plagues, the 10th plague, which was the, then became the Passover. They had to find a lamb that was spotless, shed its blood and, wipe, and smear blood on the doorposts. And when the angel of death came and saw the blood of the lamb, they were spared. They were granted life, the firstborn. Sacrifices, by the way, when sacrifices were made, back to Old Testament and then even into the New Testament, when sacrifices were made, they were made between 9 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus was put on the cross at 9 a.m., and he died at 3 p.m. right on time for sacrifice. It all comes together in the death of Jesus Isaiah 53.10, I've said it already, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It was the will of the Father. It is all very, very carefully orchestrated by God. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, For our sake, he, the Father, made him the Son to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. God only is allowing, even in these foul, wicked events, he is only allowing what he is going to allow. Nothing is out of his control. He has got it. God's will was not once thwarted in these events. Jesus, this is our Savior. He willingly took the mocking, the scorning, the beating, the torture, the rejection, the death. He willingly paid our sin debt. It is paid in full. When the veil was torn, the veil was the barrier to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. Only the high priest could enter and with very intense restrictions on what that looked like. And now the veil was torn wide open that we would have access by the blood of Jesus into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of the Father. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And then in Hebrews 4, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Our first sacrifice that we see in Scripture, other than in the, in the garden, uh, we don't have the explicit details there, is, at, is Abraham and Isaac. When God said, go sacrifice your son, and God, in fact, provided a lamb, a grown lamb, a ram, to take Isaac's place. That is the first time we see And by the way, where that took place, that story takes place, is very, very near where Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus was without spot or blemish. He was sinless. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our sacrifice. Colossians 2 tells us, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. Jesus paid it all. In Romans, we read that the wages of sin is death. Jesus has paid our sin debt. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for undergoing undergoing this horrific torture and death that we might be in this place here this morning worshiping you, talking about you, reading about you. If you had not done that, Lord, we would not be here. We would not be free. We would not be forgiven. But because of what you have done, we give you thanks, O Lord. In your own precious name, amen. I want to run down, jump back down to ground level. Bear with me. At the end, when Jesus dies, he utters something with a loud cry. If you go over to the book of John, it says what he said. Tetelestai is what he said. Tetelestai, it is finished. That word tetelestai was not a groan of, ugh. It was a triumphant cry. I did it. It is over. It is accomplished. We won. Somebody's written this. It is the victor's shout. It is the cry of the man who has completed his task. It is the cry of the man who has won through the struggle. It is the cry of the man who's come out of the dark into the glory of the light and who has grasped the crown So then, Jesus died a victor with a shout of triumph on his lips. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Hebrews 12, 2, you know it well, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, even as he died, he was experiencing the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus takes all of the mockery, all of the condemnation, all of the accusations, all the torture, and he turns all of it on its head. And he says, I defeated you. I dealt with you. I have won. This is what Jesus has done for us. God the Father sent his only son away to die like this. And he had to look away. The son gave his life to pay our sin debt. Romans 6.23 says, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans tells us also that, and this shows it perfectly, that how God proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus pursued us with everything he had. He gave everything to pursue you and to pursue me. He is not willing, the Father, that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. This is a time of invitation for us. If you are a follower of Christ and you have trusted Christ, but you have been drifting away from him, for whatever reason, you've gotten your eyes off of him and you've kind of wandered off on your own. I invite you back. I invite you back this morning. Realign yourself. Reconnect yourself. Because if he loved you enough to die for you, he will never turn away from you, no matter what you have done. My friends, if there are any of you in here who have not yet trusted in Jesus and you have not yet placed your faith in what Jesus says, the Bible tells us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. May this be the day of your salvation where you are saved from eternal separation from God the Father because you have trusted in Jesus this day. I invite you to that today. I invite you now to trust in Jesus. God did not make it difficult. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, oh Lord, we give you thanks, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Father, the tremendous sacrifice of sending your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish would not be separated from you any longer, but would have everlasting life that begins now. Lord, we are free of the bondage of sin because of what you, Jesus, have done. And so this morning, Lord, we are exultant. As dark, as terrible as a story is this of what you went through, O oh Lord Jesus, it is even more glorious. The joy that was set before you, Lord, is what's happening right now where we are here giving you all the praise and all of the glory. 
And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.